Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Robo Hair. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which I play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, I will be discussing Pitfall. What famous actor appeared in a television commercial for Pitfall? Stay tuned to find the answer to that trivia question. Now, before I get started with this episode's game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy headlines. Welcome back to another episode of Sprite Castle. Um, you may have noticed that this episode is a week later than I normally release them. If you follow me on social media, that would be on Facebook or Twitter, or if you subscribe to me on Patreon, then you have probably already heard the story, or you may have seen it in the national news that Oklahoma was hit with a major ice storm last week that knocked power out for over 300,000 people. And I was one of those 300,000 people. We lost power early last Tuesday. So we did not have power for most of Tuesday. We did not have power uh, for all of Wednesday. And on Thursday, my wife woke up and said, that's it. We're getting a generator. Now I've thought about getting a generator in the past, but we really only have storms like this where we lose power for, you know, not very frequently. And so, um, it's hard to justify the cost of a generator. And the other problem is when there's a storm like this, or when people don't have power, it's very hard to find a generator. And so my wife found a generator that was over 200 miles away at a home depot in Texas. And so she was, uh, Hellbent on getting a generator. She drove to Texas. Uh, she paid for the generator online. She went to Texas and picked it up and came home. And we got the generator up and running. And uh, within five minutes, they had restored power to my entire neighborhood. And so <laughs> if you want to get uh, service restored to your house, that's the easiest way to do it is spend a lot of money on a generator. Um, but uh, my... my uh, Everybody, my, my mom was without power. My dad was, at, uh, he just got power back yesterday. So um, my uh, mother-in-law, uh, they've been without power. So even though we got our power back, we were doing a lot of uh, running interference and, and uh, delivering groceries and, and moving things around, moving people around. So it was uh, quite the experience. So next time, if it happens, we will have a generator. We have a generator. So, um. So that is why the uh, show is a little bit later than normal. Now, I do plan on recording an episode of You Don't Know Flack later this week. So everything should stay after this week. Everything should be back uh, on on track. I The minute power came back on, actually the same day that power came back on, I recorded a video for the uh, Amigos Retro Gaming channel. I played Friday the 13th because last week was Halloween. I hope everybody had a good and safe Halloween, and I've said that a few times. We had uh, eight different groups of trick-or-treaters come to our house, which was uh, very surprising because, uh, number one, in this neighborhood, we traditionally have got very few trick-or-treaters, and number two, with COVID and everything else, we were expecting almost no trick-or-treaters, and I was looking forward to eating these little pre-packaged popcorn balls and little bags of candy corn that my wife bought. But unfortunately, 
handing them all out to little kids. Lots of uh, minions. I guess minions are still popular and lots of little uh, Disney characters and at least uh, one or two Django Fets. So lots of uh, cool costumes came through. It didn't seem to be... Um, I don't know if this is uh, reflective of the times, but uh, didn't seem to be very many scary costumes this year. Not a lot of, uh, you know, no vampires or wolfmen or, you know, random killers. I don't know. Maybe maybe things have got away from that or maybe just because the kids, it seemed like the kids were all pretty young. So maybe that uh, uh, maybe that's not so popular with the, the three-year-old crowd. <laughs> But um, if uh, you still have any Halloween spirit left in you, be sure to go check out youtube.com forward slash Amigos Retro Gaming and then just find the Sprite Castle playlist and you will find the video for Friday the 13th, which is a uh, classic Commodore 64 game. It's one that I always uh, fall back on. It's kind of a, a comfort game and there's really nothing like uh, being a camp counselor and just burying an axe in one of your... <laughs> Hello, counselors. It's really kind of a gruesome game, but it's kind of fun. Uh, there's also a video as of uh, Wednesday. There's a video that went up of me playing Pitfall, uh, which is this week's game. So if you want to see what Pitfall looks like for the Commodore 64, uh, be sure to go to that YouTube link. And, uh, of course, those links are always in the show notes, which you can find over at podcast.robohara.com and follow the links right to those videos. Uh, on YouTube this week, I did see a new video that went up from 8-Bit Show and Tell on YouTube, and the video he did last week was Secrets in Bruce Lee. Now, I think back when I first started doing the video version of the show, I think I did Bruce Lee. I don't know that I've done a uh, audio version of Bruce Lee, but Bruce Lee, man, that was a uh, really fun game. That's another game that I had originally on the Apple II that I played and then uh, got on the Commodore 64 and continued to play. It's such a fun game. In fact, when I first got my 3D printer uh, and I got uh, some simple CAD software, I tried, I actually built the three characters from Bruce Lee. I built Bruce Lee and uh, Yamo, the sumo wrestler, and Ninja and 3D printed little uh, Bruce Lee action figures. I was going to paint them, uh, which wouldn't be very difficult to do. I think you, you only would need green for uh, uh, the sumo wrestler and yellow uh, for Bruce Lee. It's only uh, they use pretty simple color schemes, but um, never got around to painting them. But I do have them sitting right here on my desk, which is kind of fun. So if you like Bruce Lee, and there's a lot of uh, little secrets and bugs and glitches and fun stuff in that game, and Robin shows all those things off on uh, 8-Bit Show and Tell. So if you're a fan of Bruce Lee or just Commodore games, you should go check that out. I also saw a link to a new product. Um, I say new. I hadn't seen this before, but it was on MyRetroComputer.com, and the product is called a My64, and this was a Commodore 64. They're being very careful not to call it a Commodore 64, but it is a Commodore 64 bread bin case uh, complete with, um, what do they call it, like micro switch keys. Um, but it is set up to all the keys correspond to a modern keyboard, and uh, it says just add your own mini ITX motherboard. So I guess it's intended to put a PC motherboard in, uh, and then you would just have a, a whole working system. There's little holes in the back for, uh, well, the little breakout area that would be on the back of a uh, ITX motherboard. Uh, it's $200 for the case and the keyboard. I mean, the keys look really nice. You just have to really want to have a modern machine in a 
C64 case, of course, you know, if you're setting up something like a uh, uh, Ultimate 64 or something like that and you, you wanted a brand new case and you wanted a, a really, you know, a modern uh, keyboard or something like that, then, then maybe this is for you. $200 sounds a little high to me, but on the other hand, uh, the price, I mean, even broken Commodore 64s, <laughs> the prices have gone so up uh uh, so much that, uh, you know, by the time you get a, a working keyboard and a, and a working case, you know, and a, a brand new case, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that is a good deal. So if anybody purchases one of those or has any more information, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, I also saw on uh, Kickstarter that uh, Zap64 has listed their annual 2021 anthology. It is 120 pages color and available in hardback they had an original kickstarter goal of twenty five thousand dollars and as of uh, day three it looks like they have already doubled that so this will definitely uh start so if you're a fan of the old zap 64 magazine now i as someone who grew up in the u.s was not familiar with zap 64 until much later uh, i do have uh, downloaded pdfs of the magazine and, and read through them and, and they're uh, very fun and entertaining and I'm looking forward to uh, I'm definitely going to be be purchasing this just because it's a, a great collection of articles and reviews and uh, uh, you know the layout looks really interesting I think they, it said something about they're having new artwork done and stuff for the front lots of cool stuff so I will definitely be uh, be picking that up but uh, if you're interested in that go check out just look for Zap64 and Kickstarter and it is the uh, 2021 annual you'll find that uh, I saw a few new games. There's one game that's being teased. I don't think it's been released yet, but it's called Neptune Lander Elite. And this is a a version, more or less, of uh, Lunar Lander with a bunch of different levels. It looks really cool. I actually saw this being played on Hazemaker 64's Twitch uh, stream, and uh, he was playing an earlier build of it. This is a game that was written by someone named C64Mark, which um, I I almost like, I think it would be funny if that's like a mark, like um, in uh, like a wrestling term, like he really likes the 64, like I'm a mark for something. But I assume in reality, his name is just Mark and he loves the C64. And I like an alias that there's no mystery. It's like a personalized license plate when you see one and it's like XK3, you know, and I mean, you're looking at it, you know, they paid money to have that personalized license plate, but you can't figure it out. But I can figure out what C64 Mark stands for. <laughs> it's a guy named Mark who loves the best computer in the world. So uh, I saw a video of this uh, being played, this Neptune Lander Elite. I'm really excited. It looks like a, a pretty fun game. Lots of levels. And uh, it's like the original in, in that there are easy places to land, hard places to land. And uh, it looks really fun. So I'm looking forward to that. I saw a release of... A game called Flangry Bird 101, which looks like the old Flappy Bird, uh, but the bird kind of looks like an Angry Bird, so I guess that's why it's a Flangry Bird. And it looks like it uses uh, Petaski, or Petaski, Petaski, I don't know, uh, characters instead of a high-res graphics or anything. But uh, I watched the video on that, and it, you know, I there was a Flappy Bird, really. in fact, I did a Flappy Bird uh, episode of, the, of Sprite Castle, I talked about Flappy Bird, so... I uh, probably won't do an entire episode about Flangry Bird, but if you uh, just can't get enough of Twitch games that are a few years old, 
than Flightry Bird 101 might be for you. I also saw a uh, updated version of Boxy Moxie. I mentioned that earlier a few shows ago, and uh, it, there's a uh, updated version that contains even more levels. And Boxy Moxie, man, I played that for a while. That game is addictive. So uh, it is uh, available on uh, Broken Bites Itch's channel. So you can go to brokenbites.itch.io forward slash boxy moxie and it's uh, one of those downloads on itch.io where you can name your own price so whatever you want to pay uh, you just put that in and then you can download uh, the new updated version of boxy moxie with additional levels and finally while i was looking for halloween games to play and of course i ended up playing friday 13th but i did see a new game called death saw challenge <laughs> Which needs to be read in a cool monster truck voice, like Death Soul Challenge. Um, and uh, I will add a link to that in the show notes if you want to download Death Saw Challenge. But essentially, you are a little character and you have to move around on a single screen while I guess you would call it the blades from a circular saw <laughs> are released and bounce around the screen. So uh, the game is essentially how long can you survive without getting sawed <laughs> by one of the flying. Uh, saw blades. So that uh, uh, is a fun little uh, time distractor. I, I did actually play it. It's pretty fun. Uh, you know, it was a good. It was a good game. Like a lot of these games, that'll take your mind off of stuff. You know, like I mentioned last week, uh, I sat around the house without power, and and uh, fortunately, I have so many friends that offered me uh, places to stay, you know, place to come crash. People like uh, Mr. Bundy and uh, Hermski, Paul Davies, Stephen Burt, Mike McLaughlin, Gary Heather, Darren Folds, Chris Folds, Tron Rydar Bow and his son Christopher, Armadon Restall, Olaf Hope, David Hearns, John Schaller, Eric Stryanisi, Matt Nicholson, Dave Zilli, Steve Rasmussen, Patrick Markey, Garrett Allier, Graham Vobke, Rick Reynolds, Scott Lambert, John Morrison, Mark Alley, Jake Nonamaker, and the mysterious Cobra Kai, who offered me to crash at his dojo while it wasn't in use. Obviously, not all these people uh, offered me a place to stay because a lot of them live in other countries. <laughs> In reality, though, those are my Patreon supporters. So if you want to support the show on Patreon and get lots of fun little, I think I've blogged almost every single day uh, over the past couple of weeks, just little things about the show or about my life or little things that are going on. So if you are a Patreon supporter, you get access to all that stuff. Uh, my uh, top tier supporters, I think I'm going to add um, the ability for my $10 Patreon supporters to pick a game uh, to go into the rotation for the show, too. I think that would be uh, um, that's a, a easy reward to uh, fulfill, and that, that gives people um, a way to input to the show. So I think I'm going to go add that uh, uh, this week as well. But uh, so if you want to go find out more about the rewards for my uh, Patreon support, just go over to patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. If you're not interested in Patreon, but you do want to support the show, remember that uh, two things you could do is to like and review the show on iTunes and also share links to the show on social media. If you'd like to send me feedback about this episode or any episode of Sprite Castle, you can always email me at Rob O'Hara at Rob O'Hara.com. Contact me on Twitter at Commodore. 
Follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcast. Catch me hanging out on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server or leave me a voicemail on the FLAC podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. And those are this week's headlines brought to you by my local paper boy who just got knocked off his bike by a tire rolling down the street. What a surprise. Now that we've covered this week's headlines, let's cover this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. So, you know, there are two types of talking snack segments. They're the kind where I immediately uh, talk about a, a food that's in the game and I try to prepare something that goes along with the game. Or there are ones that I remember you know, from playing the game as a kid or, or as an adult. Then I guess there's a third kind, which is like pitfall where I go, I, you know, there's no food in the game and there's no food that I really associate with playing uh, pitfall, you know? So, so it kind of puts me in a, a tough position where I have to come up with something. And so I was brainstorming last week with my wife. I said, you know, I, I got to come up with a snack uh, that I can have while I'm playing Pitfall this week, you know? And she says, well, is there any food in the game? I said, no, you know, there's gold bars and, and bags of money, things like that, you know? And um, she says, what else is in the game? And I said, oh, well, there's vines. And she said, well, why don't you get some of those red vines? And I was like, you mean Twizzlers? She says, no, I mean red vines. I said, are you just calling Twizzlers red vines? She says, you never heard of red vines? I said, no, never heard of red vines. And so uh, she went to the store and came back later that evening and had a box of red vines. And red vines is a actual brand name of licorice that uh, I thought looked just like Twizzlers, but they're a little bit different than Twizzlers. Twizzlers always kind of have a waxy kind of taste to me, and these didn't have that. But they're not the the skinny uh, shoestring licorice you know they're big thick like twixers uh twizzlers so um red vines which of course in pitfall you know you swing on vines and i thought well that's pretty good so i did uh, have a few red vines sitting here next to me at my uh, computer desk and while i was playing pitfall i definitely chewed on some of these red vines and and they're pretty good you know it's funny i just thought of this uh i have a licorice related story when i was a kid my mom used to uh, baked birthday cakes, uh, you know, for, for me and my sister, but, uh, you know, like other kids, my mom, um, uh, I guess, you know, back now you would call it like a home daycare, but back then uh, we just, you know, said that she babysat several kids and she would make birthday cakes for them. And I remember one year she made, uh, she used to make this, um, special kind of caterpillar cake. She would take a bunt cake, which, you know, is a big circle cake with a hole in the middle and then cut it in half and then stagger it so that all of a sudden it's it's not the shape of a of a circle it's the shape of a letter s so she would connect the two ends and then she would ice it and put little candy on it and it would look like a caterpillar she would make a little caterpillar cake and so uh, she was going to make one of those cakes and she would put little smarties on it for like the little colored dots and stuff and uh, you know different things for the eyes and then for the legs she would use red uh, shoestring uh or black or whatever, but this, this particular time was red, uh, shoestring licorice. And she would cut them up and make all the little centipedes legs. And so, um, she was going to make one of those cakes and I was probably like seven or eight years old. And I went to the, the refrigerator, <clears throat> um, one night after dinner and I was looking for a snack and I found <laughs> this giant bag of red licorice 
And I was like, oh, I'm going to eat. So, and I just kept like going back and eating it and eating it. And I ended up eating this whole bag of licorice. And, um, then, uh, that night, you know, this was like, I don't know, maybe around dinner time or something. So that night my mom started making this cake that she's going to decorate. And now the licorice is gone. And so she comes in and she's like, who ate all this licorice? And of course my sister and I were like, not me, not me, <laughs> you know, and I knew it was me, but I wasn't going to fess up to it, you know? And, uh, <laughs> so, um, Late that evening, I mean, about, I don't know, 11 o'clock or midnight, like after my bedtime, I woke up with a big tummy ache and I went into the bathroom and I started crying because I knew I was going to get sick. And my mom came in there and she's like, are you okay? And I was like, oh, my tummy hurts. And I started throwing up and I threw up all this licorice. And while I was throwing up, my mom starts yelling and then she starts spanking me. She's like, I knew you ate that licorice. Well, you're busted when you're throwing up the evidence. <laughs> There's no way out of that. So, uh, fortunately, I did not eat enough uh, red vines to make myself sick. I only ate a couple of red vines uh, while I was playing, which means I have about 30 extra red vines here. So, I'll uh, probably have to put those out on the, the kitchen counter and let the kids take those over. But um, anyway, speaking of vines, Pitfall was published for the Commodore 64 in 1984 by Activision. It is a game for one player that uses joystick controls. Uh, this is not the first Activision game we've covered on Sprite Castle. It's actually the third. We covered Hero all the way back on Episode 4. And then on Episode 20, we covered Little Computer People, which I also had a video up on the uh, Amigos Retro Gaming YouTube channel that I just did that just a couple of weeks ago. But on those episodes, I talked way more in detail about the history of Activision, so I won't recover that same ground. I will just say that Activision was founded in 1979 by four former Atari programmers who left Atari. That was David Crane, Alan Miller, Robert Whitehead, and Larry Kaplan. And all four of those guys made some really, really great games, not just for the Atari 2600, but uh, uh, a lot of them stayed in the uh, game development business for a long time. I will mention one of my favorite uh, trivia facts, which I'm sure I mentioned on uh, uh, Hero and probably on Little Computer People, but uh, these four guys left uh, Atari and formed Activision. And part of the reason why they chose the name Activision was because alphabetically it came before Atari. So when you got a catalog, a software catalog, the Activision section would be before the Atari section. But when people left Activision... Uh, there were some people who left and formed Accolade, which is before Activision uh, alphabetically. And then the people that there were people that left Accolade that formed Acclaim, and Acclaim is before <laughs> Accolade alphabetically. And then there was a final group that split off that made Absolute Entertainment, which is before all of it. So alphabetically, it's completely reversed. It's Absolute Entertainment, Acclaim, then Accolade then Activision, and finally Atari. But I always found that funny is that they were just this uh, ongoing thing to keep, you know, I, I, I'm i sure I joked last time that the next one would have been like AAA game <laughs> development and plumbing or something. Uh, the earliest Activision games were all for the Atari 2600, of course. Um, some of the first ones were Checkers, Fishing Derby, uh gosh, what else? Boxing was an early one. Dragster was a very early one. Those were all like the first year uh, of uh, Activision games in 2020, 
Activision released Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2, and they also are releasing, or I, I guess it's not out yet, uh, Crash Bandicoot 4. It's about time. So Activision has been in the game. It's 100% different people, uh, but the company is still around. So it's uh, a pretty amazing. I think the other amazing thing is that most of those early Activision games were all created by a single person and no games that Activision currently makes are released by a single person. There's probably not a, a single person that just does the graphics or anything like that. The back of the box for Pitfall for the Atari 2600 and Intellivision uh, explains exactly what the game is about. It starts off, it says, Conceived and designed by David Crane. For one fearless fortune hunter at a time. Let me introduce myself. I'm Pitfall Harry, veteran jungle explorer. Fortune hunting's my game, and yours too, if you're daring enough to take this trip with me. Don't be nervous. I'll be your guide through the jungle, and I'm one of the best. Untold riches are waiting for us there, but so are dangers a dozen times over. We'll be swinging on vines over bottomless tar pits. We'll be hopping across swamps using crocodile heads like stepping stones. We'll be searching underground through dark passageways, crawling with killer scorpions. So pack up your backpack and meet me at the jungle at dawn, and we'll be off to seek a king's ransom in gold, diamonds, and lost treasures in Pitfall Harry's Jungle Adventure. So this is the first place uh, that you see the term Pitfall Harry's Jungle Adventure. I don't know anybody that ever refers to this game as Pitfall Harry's Jungle Adventure, even though that specific phrase is trademarked and appears uh, on the box, on the, the title screen, uh, multiple places. Everybody just calls this game Pitfall, but it does kind of make you think that they had other Pitfall games planned. You know, Pitfall Harry's Jungle Adventure, maybe Pitfall Harry would, would uh, you know, have some other type of adventure. Uh, but essentially, it is a side-scrolling platform game where Pitfall Harry has to avoid dangerous obstacles and poisonous creatures in his search for fame and treasure. You get 20 minutes to collect as many of the 32 hidden treasures as you can. You also have three lives, so if you die three times or run out of time, your game is over. Now, Pitfall was originally released on the Atari 2600 all the way back in 1982, but the year before that, was Raiders of the Lost Ark in 1981. So obviously, um, you know, jungle adventure and looking for treasure, things like that in Raiders of the Lost Ark were an obvious inspiration on Pitfall. Pitfall was the number one best-selling game for over a year. It was the number one best-selling game for 62 weeks in a row. It was very, very popular when it came out. Uh, it spawned its own Saturday morning cartoon. It was on the Saturday morning Supercade. Uh, Pitfall was a segment on there with Qbert and Donkey Kong uh, for at least the first year of uh, that cartoon series. Looks like we've got it all wrapped up, Uncle Pitfall. So it does, Rhonda. The spider is wrapped up in his own evil web. We delivered the Star of India ruby to the museum and the spider in it came to the Indian police. We thought we had seen our last spider until... Uh, you, uh, you see, I think this is my best shot here. And it was also had its own very popular television commercial. 
Last night, I was lost in the jungle with Pitfall Harry, surrounded by giant scorpions and man-eating crocodiles. Well, Harry and I just grabbed the van, swung through the trees, and over the tar pits and found the jungle treasure. It was really neat. If you haven't met Pitfall Harry, you're missing the year's most incredible video game adventure. Pitfall for the Atari 2600 and in television. Since I met Pitfall Harry, no other man will do. Pitfall, designed by David Crane for Activision. Now, you probably didn't recognize the voice. Uh, you would definitely recognize the face. But uh, that was Jack Black, which is difficult for me to type because I always type Jack Flack. <laughs> but Jack Black is the kid in that commercial. And uh, I will add a link to that in the show notes. So if you want to go check out the Activision commercial for Pitfall, you can do that. You know what? I'll add, I believe on YouTube, there's one or two episodes of the Pitfall cartoon as well. So I will uh, add a link to that. Now, if you had Pitfall or if you've seen Pitfall for the Atari 2600, you know what the box looks like. It's that hunter green color. It has that stylized Activision uh, you know, graphics on the front of Pitfall Harry swinging on a vine. But the Commodore 64 version doesn't look like that at all. Uh, the box is completely different. It has uh, a blue sky. There's a, a red sun. There are trees in the background. And then the bottom third of the box is Pitfall in these large orange letters, uh, which is on top of a brown background. I guess that's supposed to be the underground part. And then over the logo, you have this silhouette of Pitfall Harry, and he's swinging on a vine. Uh, the graphics that are on the front wrap around to the back and, and also there's this green color, but it's not the same green color that's on the Atari version. Um, it's almost like a, a teal, I guess, green. Um, but but it wraps around to the back. And then there are several quotes uh, about, and this is, again, in reference to the Atari 2600 version, but about it being the game of the year and that it's a, a classic. So the Atari and the Intellivision have all this information. The Commodore does not have all that stuff that I read about how I'm pitfall Harry and we're going on an adventure. All it has is the quotes that apply to the Commodore six or to the uh, uh, Atari 2600 version. And then underneath all that, it says, quote, and now this classic of crocodile infested swamps, menacing tar pits and priceless treasures come to the Commodore 64. So it's really just, you know, it's kind of riding on the laurels of the Atari 2600 version. It basically says this Atari 2600 version is a wonderful game. And now we've brought it to the Commodore 64. The manual to pitfall is pretty detailed. Uh, it starts off giving you instructions on how to launch the game. And it talks about whether, uh, uh, if you have the cartridge version or if you have the disc version, and there are different instructions for those. I mean, and across the front, it says Pitfall Harry's Guide to Jungle Journeys. So they they really keep this jungle theme going throughout, not just the, the game, but the box and the manual, the packaging. Um, it does use the word disc with a C, D-I-S-C, which is interesting to me because I thought, uh, perhaps incorrectly, but I thought that floppy disks were always D-I-S-K, and then it changed to C when we started talking about CD-ROMs. So a, a, if you wrote disk D-I-S-C, we were talking about a CD-ROM or a DVD, a disk, and a D-I-S-K was always a floppy disk. So just a minor thing I noticed, but I thought that was interesting. Um, on the back page of the manual, 
It says, uh, don't be shy. Call us up. Ask questions. Tell us who you are or just get onto our mailing list. And then it has a phone number. Um, I know that a lot of video game uh, companies, I know Nintendo is famous for their hint line and things like that. I'm really kind of surprised that you would put the phone number of your company and say, hey, just call us up and tell you who you are. <laughs> like, was Activision in 1984 that big that they had an entire bank of phone people that would just sit around and talk to you if you're bored? <laughs> like, I get it that I'm sure they're going to try to sell you something and get your name or phone number or mailing address or something like that, you know, probably before. But I, I would have loved to, you know, just been able to call and be like, hey, man. My name is Rob. <laughs> just tell tell me who you are. You know, I like games. <laughs> it just seems like a an odd thing. And and I I mean I know people are going to do it, but it's odd that they would solicit it. That they would just put that in there. So, um, the manual does talk. Uh, there's a section that talks about the perils of Pitfall, and this is where it discusses uh, the different types of things you will encounter. And it splits it up into two categories. The first is inconvenient hazards which is open holes and rolling logs. And what it means by inconvenient hazards is that they will cost you points, but not a life. So if you fall down a hole, uh, you lose 100 points. If you hit a rolling log, it just takes away points while you're touching it. Uh, but they don't kill you. The other category is catastrophic hazards. Uh, and that's everything else in the game. That is scorpions, uh, campfires. This says cobras. I talked about this on the... Uh, uh, I guess cobras have a, a – do cobras have a rattle on the end of their tail? I don't know. I should probably know that. But I thought that was only rattlesnakes. I mean, in the game, it's very obviously <laughs> a snake that's rattling its tail. But this is cobras. We're going with cobras. Uh, crocodiles, swamps, quicksand, and tar pits. And it says any of those things will cost Harry one of his three lives. Uh, it also has information on Pitfall Harry's Explorer Club. Now, that's something that I really thought only applied to the Atari console versions of Pitfall, but apparently not. I'm going to talk more about that uh, later on when we talk about the scoring. The manual also contains tips from David Crane. Now, David Crane says uh, you should run to the left. Now, that's an interesting strategy. You can run, you could run right or left in this game. But he says if you go to the left, uh, because Pitfall Harry falls down whenever you start, after you die, a new Pitfall Harry drops down from the top, and he drops on the left-hand side of the screen. So Crane's opinion is that because you fall on the left-hand side of the screen, you don't have to face whatever just killed you. So it's an interesting thing. I, I always felt like uh, running to the right was easier, but also if you run to the left, the logs always roll from right to left. So if you're running to the left, you're running with the logs and you won't have to jump those. But uh, when you get to a, a screen that has a stationary uh, snake or campfire or thing like that, they're always on the right and you're going to run right into it if you're running. So I don't know. I don't know which is better. You try them both. You tell me. Uh, it also says you should map the terrain to learn where the underground tunnels go. We'll talk a little bit about the underground tunnels here in a minute. Uh, wait until the crocodile's mouths are closed to jump. I think anybody that's played this would figure that out. And then at the end, he says, write him a letter. <laughs> so this is the second uh, thing in the manual where he, where Activision is just dying to hear from you. <laughs> they just want you to write him a letter, tell him how you're doing, tell him who you are. <laughs> I bet the people that answered the mail at Activision or the phones just hated this. 
<laughs> Wouldn't it be funny though? Uh, I'm and you know I'm assuming that you're getting a uh, a secretary or or some sort of uh, mail handling person. What maybe David Crane just opened his own mail? I don't know. Uh, it's pretty interesting though. So uh, when you load the game, you will come up to a title screen on the Commodore 64. This is something that uh, some of the console versions don't have. You'll see the Activision logo. It says Activision presents David Crane's Pitfall TM. And then it says Pitfall Harry's Jungle Adventure, also TM. So they trademark not just Pitfall, but they also trademark Pitfall Harry's Jungle Adventure. And then it says copyright 1982, 1984 Activision Incorporated. So Pitfall was released originally on the Atari 2600 back in 1982, but it didn't make it to the Commodore 64 until 1984. So once you press a button or spacebar, you get to the, I guess I would call it the menu screen. The menu screen is just the first screen of the game. There's a scroller across the bottom where you see the Activision logo and it says Pitfall and it tells you to hit F1 to start the game. Now, one thing I thought, I don't know if this is interesting, but F2 also starts the game. There's nothing in it that says F2 starts it, but, um, you know, on a Commodore keyboard, F2 is just shift F1. So, um, whatever. <laughs> it's not earth-shattering. I just noticed it. Uh, your controls are pretty simple. You use the joystick to run left or right. The button jumps. And uh, you can also use up and down to climb up and down the ladders. Uh, when you jump onto a vine, a swinging vine, you pull back towards you or down on the joystick to drop off the vine. So those are all basically the same as the uh, Atari 2600 controls. Uh, on the Commodore also, you can hit Run, Stop, Restore, and that will restart the game. Or you can just press Run, Stop, and that will pause the game. So the gameplay of this game is pretty simple. As I said, you can run left to right. You will run from screen to screen to screen. Uh, you have to avoid these pits, uh, some of the pits you swing over on vines. Uh, there are also quick uh, quicksand and tar pits that open and close, and you'll have to time it to run across when those are closed. You'll have logs rolling at you. You have to jump over fire and snakes. I think that's pretty much everything you run into. Uh, oh, and scorpions down in the bottom. So the top half of the screen is... Uh, you know, above ground. And that's where you're doing most of this underneath you. There's a, a subterranean area that is, uh, where you could go down and now there are scorpions down there, but that area for every one screen that you move left and right, you're moving three screens up on the top. And, uh, to get all the treasure that's in the game, you will have to utilize those tunnels to move more quickly through certain areas. The problem is if you don't have a map or haven't made a map or in today's world downloaded a map, you won't know when to use the tunnels and when not because you can easily go down there and miss some of the treasure. So uh, you'll either have to make your own map or download a walkthrough or something to find out when exactly uh, when and where to use the uh, tunnel system. Now, you start the game with 2,000 points, but like I said, you lose 100 points if you fall down a hole, and you lose points whenever you touch a log. Uh, now, there are 32 treasures in all that you will uh, need to collect if you wanted to totally beat the game. There are four money bags, and those are worth 2,000 points each. There are four silver bars. There are 3,000 points each. There are four gold bars, which are 4,000 points each. 
and four diamond rings that are 5,000 points each. So, uh, like the old perfect score in Pac-Man, if you want to get a perfect game, well, first of all, there's a perfect, you could get a perfect score in Pitfall, which is 114,000 points. And you would achieve that by getting all 32 of those treasures and not uh, touching any logs or falling down any holes, which would take away. So all those treasures added up are 112,000 points plus the 2000 that you start with. So that's how you get 114,000 points. A perfect game is doing that and also not losing uh, any mem. Now you don't have to get anywhere near that score to become a member of Pitfall Harry's Explorer Club. In fact, uh, to get become a member of the club, you only had to score 20,000 points, which is, I say only, uh, I played last night, uh, I played three games, and on my third game, I think I got 12,000. So I really feel like with about five or six games, I could probably hit 20,000 points. Um, but like all the uh, Atari 2600 patches, the way that you you uh, join this club, quote unquote, is you had to take a picture of your screen with a score of 20,000 points or higher. And then you mailed in your picture to Activision, then they would mail you uh, this patch. And it says uh, Pitfall Harry's Explorer Club. It's a really cool patch. And uh, now you can find them on on uh, eBay or whatever. I don't know if the, anybody's made reproductions. That'd be interesting to find out or stickers, something like that might be kind of cool to have today. Um, I did not look up high scores because the uh, high score would be a perfect game, and I know many people have done that. So the high score is 114,000, <laughs> done by a lot of people. <laughs> not me, by the way. <laughs> um, I did find some interesting trivia uh, for uh, Pitfall, and a lot of this came from David Crane did a Ask Me Anything on Reddit when he was trying to raise money for a new Pitfall game, which unfortunately was not funded and I guess was never made. I mean, this was uh, relatively recently within the, the past few years. Uh, but one of the things he said was that the uh, scene where Pitfall Harry jumps across the crocodile heads was inspired by a scene from an old Hecklin Jekyll cartoon, which uh, if you've ever seen the two birds, uh, those are pretty old cartoons, but uh, apparently there's a scene where they do the same thing. And so that was uh, the inspiration for that. Uh, this is a, a fairly famous story, but David Crane uh, first came up with the animation of the man running. And then, uh, so that was a, before there was ever a pitfall game, he came up with the animation of the guy running. And then he said, well, where could I be running? And then he said, I could be in a jungle. And he drew the trees and stuff. And then basically that's how pitfall was made. But the uh, animation of the guy running was the very first part that was developed. I mentioned this on the uh, YouTube video. But I, I just can't mention enough, if you are interested in the development of Pitfall or what it took to get a game like that to fit into 4K, which is how big the Commodore 64 version is, you should go check out Racing the Beam, which is a really good book. Uh, it makes it tells some interesting stories about game development on the Atari 2600, and Pitfall is one of the games that's covered. The Empire Strikes Back is also covered. Uh, I think... Uh, I think Yard's Revenge, I'm not sure. But, but there's some really, really good stories in there. And um, it's not super technical, but there's enough technical stuff that if you understand a little bit about technology, uh, it'll just make you shake your head the things that uh, they had to do to get stuff like that to work. Um, Pitfall received originally pretty good reviews. And then over time, the reviews dropped off. 
Uh, early reviews for this game, uh, Commodore Horizons gave it 9 out of 10. Computer and Video Games Magazine gave it 7 out of 10. But when you start looking past that, Popular Computing Weekly gave it 3 out of 5. Home Computing gave it 3 out of 5. Your Commodore gave it 3 out of 5. And Personal Computer Games gave it 4 out of 10. Now, I was curious why some of those reviews were so high and the other ones were really low. And really what it is is the ones that were really high talk about what a great game Pitfall is. And it is a great game. I mean, it is a, uh, you know, a, a landmark game. I mean, it really invented a genre and we're still playing platform games today because of Pitfall. So there, there's no taking away that, that Pitfall is a great game. However, these lower reviews, which kind of lead to the negative part about this game is that they say, you know, it's a really perfect version of the Atari 2600 game on a Commodore 64, which is true. If you look at this game, other than a slightly updated version of the trees in the background, uh, I mean, if, if you were not, not somebody who knows about computer games at Atari, but if you were showing, you know, your mom, I mean, that would be a, a good thing. Like if you showed your mom, I'm sure my mom could not tell the difference between the Commodore version and the Atari 2600 version. You know, I mean, they're just from five feet away. They look very, very, very similar. And so that's what all these reviews, they all say the same thing. You know, you're, you're not talking about 1982. You're talking about 1984 and you're releasing a game that's essentially two years old and hasn't been updated. So, I mean, the same year that, uh, you release this game, uh, they also released Ghostbusters. They also released, uh, or Epics released uh, Impossible Mission. You know, so those are much better games than Pitfall. So, and, and you know, graphically, sound-wise, uh, just all these amazing little things, you know. So um, I think that's, that's it's not those lower uh, ratings don't reflect the fact that it's a bad game. It's just that it's a very simple game in a time where better games were being released. Now, for consoles, Pitfall was released for the Atari 2600, the 5200, the Intellivision, and the ColecoVision. Uh, but it was also released for several home computers. But uh, Commodore 64, Atari 8-bit, and the MSX. Those were all the uh, home computer versions. Um, so Activision, but again, all those were released two years after the uh, the original uh, Atari 2600 version. So it seemed like they made a game, and then as other platforms came along, they were eh, trying to milk it a little bit and get it released for other platforms. Um, if you want to play Pitfall, there are a hundred zillion ways to play Pitfall. Uh, obviously, you could get a Commodore 64 emulator and play Pitfall. Uh, you could get an Atari you know, emulator and play Pitfall. Uh, I did remember that I had a old 10 in one Jack specific uh, joystick that is for Activision games. And I went, I have this out in the garage and I went and looked last night and it has 10 built in games. And I'm just scanning the list here. Uh, but it does have River Raid. I'm not reading them all, but I'm just kind of scanning. But it does have tennis, boxing, Grand Prix, ice hockey, um, and. Pitfall is one of the 10 games. Now, I looked up online, and there's an updated version of this now called the, I believe it's the Activision Blast, um, and it has 20 games built in. So I'm looking here. 
Uh, in addition, I, well, I, I won't say in addition because I'll, I'll just repeat some of them, but I'm just looking at the list of 20 games. Atlantis, Beam Rider, Chopper Command, Cosmic Commuter, Crackpots, Decathlon, Dragster, Enduro, Fishing Derby, Freeway, Frostbite, Hero, Keystone Capers, Mega Mania, Pitfall, Pressure Cooker, River Raid, Sequest, Stampede, and Star Master. So um, other than Pitfall 2, I mean, I could probably, I mean, if I really, 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 what else would there be? I, Space Shuttle? I guess Space Shuttle's not on there. Who wants to play? You don't want to play Space Shuttle on a one of those all-in-one joystick things. Um, <laughs> um, and I said Stampede. I mean, that's really the majority of uh, Activision games that you would want to play. So, and, and the one that I found online was at Walmart and it was like, I think $15. So, you know, if you were dying to play pitfall and you didn't have a computer or a console or emulator or something like that, you could always, uh, you know, maybe you have a parent like my dad, um, you know, played early uh, Atari games and stuff like that. And I don't know that he would want to set up an emulator, but you know, if he wanted to play pitfall, then, then you could uh, pick up one of these things and uh, plug it into the TV, assuming that the TV has uh, uh, the right inputs for those things at, uh, at these, uh, this day and age. Um, but if you got that special person in your life and you want to get them an original copy of, of pitfall, they are available on eBay. Now I found a loose, again, I mentioned at the top of the hour that uh, Pitfall was available both on floppy disk and on cartridge for the Commodore 64. I found a loose floppy disk for $15 plus shipping, but a loose Pitfall cartridge was almost $55 plus shipping. So the cartridge was much more rare and the prices reflect it. I found a boxed copy of the disk for $21.97. I found a boxed copy of the cartridge version for $168. Now, this may have also been a rare uh, release because it says, uh, it says Australian version, and I know that the packaging is slightly different, but, uh, I mean, that's a lot of money for Pitfall. That's more money than all the treasures that you could sell. You can play Pitfalls, get the treasures, sell them, and then buy a copy of Pitfall. <laughs> or you can just download it. And now let's get into my personal memories of Pitfall. You know, I'm, I've mentioned many times that our first computer was a TRS-80 Model 3. And when we wanted games for our TRS-80 Model 3, we went to Radio Shack because that's where we got the computer from and that's where we got our games from. And, um, you know, we got our Atari 2600, uh, I want to say from Sears, but it, it could have been Toys R Us. I'm not sure, but I mean, we would go to Sears. That's where we got our Atari games, you know, and um, and sometimes Toys R Us, but I remember when I got Activision, uh, you know, my first Activision game, uh, that, I mean, and it's not just me. I mean, this is part of history, but all of a sudden you had these third party games, right? Like it wasn't made by Atari. It was made by somebody else. It was made by Activision. And so that was, that was such a, uh, um, I mean, now it seems so obvious, you know, like, 
just because you buy a, a Chevy truck, you don't have to put Chevy's gas in or Chevy's oil. You know, you could put whoever's gas or oil or, you know, you drive it wherever you want. And so, you know, in the early days, like every uh, Odyssey 2, we had an Odyssey 2 before we had uh, the uh, Atari 2600. And every Odyssey 2 cartridge that we had looked identical, you know, because they all were Odyssey cartridges. And, you know, in the early days, the first year, maybe two years that we had our uh, Atari 2600, every Atari game looked like an Atari game, you know. But then seeing that Activision game, it was just this kind of, um, uh, you know, shift in the way of thinking, right? They're like, oh, other people can make uh, Atari games. And, of course, we didn't know all the logistics that went into, uh, you know, reverse engineering. And, and we didn't know all the drama behind the... Uh, uh, the developers that had left Atari and had formed Activision. I didn't know all that at the time, but um, you know that was just that uh, that idea. So that's definitely a takeaway of Pitfall for me is that it would have been a very early Activision game that I had on the Atari twenty six hundred, and it would have been uh, maybe not that game specifically, but Activision games in general would have you know been the first time that I realized oh. You know, there are going to be third-party games like other people can make Atari games. Now, I had Pitfall originally on the Atari 2600, and I have a lot of memories of playing it on the Atari. In fact, uh, this is one of the games. I may have mentioned this in my book. I don't remember, but uh, just playing it this week, it reminded me of an old memory that this game uh, and Pac-Man are two specifically that I remember that, uh, you know, if, uh, you know, they were games that you had to take turns on. And if one person was good, they could play for a long time, you know, Pac-Man or something. So we would do things to make the game harder. And one of the things we would do is hold the joystick either sideways or upside down. And um, I don't mean with the joystick uh, pointing down instead of up, but I mean rotated 180 degrees so that the button would be facing towards you and then left would go right, right would go left. Uh, and it would just be just enough to make the game really hard, right? So we were kind of like adding our own uh, difficulty to the game. And um, I remember doing that in, in Pitfall, and, and that just kind of came up last night, you know, when I was playing the game. Um. I got my Commodore 64 in 1985. So by the time I got my Commodore, Pitfall for the Atari was already three years old. And it was already a year old for the Commodore 64. So like I mentioned, uh, when I got, in, you know, I may not have got Pitfall, uh, you know, day one. In fact, it looks like the copy of Pitfall I had was on disc 64, which is a coincidence. So it definitely wasn't, you know, one of the ones that I got before I owned my computer. So I might not have got it until uh, even 19, you know, early 1986, somewhere around there. I don't know. Could be late 1985. But the point is, uh, you know, so you're not comparing Pitfall to the games that it was released uh, next to because I got it three, maybe four years after the, or, you know, after it was originally released on the uh, Atari 2600. So uh, by the time I had it, I mean, even in 1985, it looked pretty dated, you know. It probably looked pretty dated in 1984 when it came out. Now, I think another problem that Pitfall might have had as far as reviews went is that Pitfall and Pitfall 2 both say they were released for the Commodore 64 in 1984. And Pitfall 2 is a much more advanced game. There's a lot more areas to explore and a lot more to do. 
So if you have those two games side by side, I don't know that a lot of people would choose the first one. I mean, I love the first one. I always, you know, I'm always going to have that retro, you know, nostalgic connection to the first one. But, uh, you know, if you got both Pitfall 1 and Pitfall 2, I think most people would end up playing Pitfall 2 uh, a little bit more. And Pitfall 1 looks basic compared to Pitfall 2, not just compared to other games that, that were out. But yeah, so that was probably, um, I mean, my takeaway is that by the time I got a copy of this, uh, it probably felt pretty dated, you know, compared to games that were coming out in 84, 85. I mean, you know, your past summer games and winter games, stuff like that. So so Pitfall looks pretty, uh, pretty simple compared to those games. Um, I will say one other thing, and this is kind of a, uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird, I don't know that it's a, a memory as much as an observation, but nowadays there's always a big push for backwards compatibility. You know, every time a new PlayStation comes out and people say, Oh, will it play my old games? And of course, you know, in, in the older days on consoles, you had add-ons, right? You would get a, a super Nintendo and then you got an add-on that would let you play, Nintendo games or whatever, or, or, you know, the Atari 7800 could also play 2600, those sorts of things. So, I mean, I don't know that it was a huge selling point back then, but I think that, well, I know that manufacturers saw the value because people didn't want to, you know, it wasn't like, uh, uh, steam or something where you could take your games with you to the next computer. It was people were spending 20, 30, $40 a game and building up these libraries. And so when they came out with a new console, people didn't want to jump to the new console because they'd spent all that money on their old game library, you know? And so we had the Atari 2600 hooked up in our living room, probably longer than most people. I mean, we definitely, um, you know, I remember having it in sixth grade, which would have been 83, 84. Um, you know, that's pretty late for Atari 2600. And I remember wanting to move the Atari to my bedroom, even though I had the Commodore 64. And the reason why was because there were certain games that I would still play from time to time. Uh, Empire Strikes Back was one. Superman was one. Um, there were, there were a few different ones. Pitfall was probably one that I didn't have on the Commodore 64. And so, you know, there was that idea of, I'm moving on and I'm leaving behind games that I like to play. And so when I found Pitfall was available for the Commodore 64, it kind of helped me do that transition where, okay, I don't need the Atari because, you know, the good games, uh, you know, River Raid was another one that was ported to the Commodore. Uh, you know, those games that I loved were available on the Commodore. And so I didn't need to drag the Atari in there. So um, I did keep the Atari. The Atari went into a box that went into the, the underneath my dad's TV for probably a decade. And then it went into a closet and now it's at my house. <laughs> uh, same with all the games. So I still have all those. So I didn't, it wasn't about getting rid of them, but it was just not needing them hooked up. Uh, and, and, as time went on, obviously the games on the Commodore were so much better than Atari games, uh, you know, that, that I didn't think about those games after a while. But it was like when I first got it and you had this big library of games in the living room and a very small library of games on your computer, it kind of made it hard to, to change platforms. 
And so having Activision, you know, just a few Activision games, uh, you know, that were on both uh, platforms, I guess, helped me make that transition. graphics i give pitfall three out of five bars of gold the graphics are passable but they're certainly not uh, impressive on commodore 64 standards for music the game unfortunately gets zero out of five there is no music in pitfall sound effects i also give three out of five they are very similar to the sound effects on the atari 2600 but some of them are slightly updated uh, with the multi-voice chords Overall gameplay, I will give Pitfall 3 out of 5. It's not a bad game, but it's definitely simple compared to a lot of other games. I think probably if you were going to play one, you would move to Pitfall 2 pretty quickly, and then you would move to other games that are more fun. So if you have a little bit of a nostalgic attachment to Pitfall, you might pull this up and, and try it on the Commodore 64, but otherwise I think you'll move on to other games in the library. tuning into Sprite Castle. If you'd like to send me feedback about this episode or any episode of the show, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com, contact me on Twitter at Commodore, follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcast, catch me hanging out at the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, or leave me a voicemail on the Flat Podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. If you'd like to support the show and gain access to behind-the-scenes blog posts and other bonus features, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara to learn more. Sprite Castle is available from iTunes, the Sprite Castle RSS feed at podcast.robohara.com, and through the Amigos podcast feed at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos podcast. To hear more podcasts from me, check out You Don't Know Flat, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness. You can find links to all these shows at podcast.robohara.com. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore News, Indie Retro News, Vintage is the New Old, and the Commodore Scene Database, along with Lemon64 and Moby Games. Thanks again for listening. Now get back to jumping over crocodiles, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle.